toddler's ABCs. Athletics beyond coronavirus. Hillel Cutler's ABCs. Athletics beyond coronavirus. Hillel Ascribe Welcome to Hillel Cutler's ABC's Athletics Beyond Coronavirus. I'm Hillel Cutler, a journalist who specializes in both healthcare and sports. In this era of the coronavirus and the precautions that are helping to save our lives by limiting the spread of disease, professional sports leagues are reopening in limited form. I continue to interview people who are exhibit A of this sports experiment. The athletes, the coaches, the broadcasters, the executives, the game day staff, and I'm interested in how fans who can watch only on TV and not in person, how the fans are faring now. On this podcast, I interview them about the very real here and now, and also about the day after, when the lives that we prefer to live can resume, and when the sports that we love return in earnest, healthily, with fans in the seats. I welcome your comments, including suggestions for interviews. Just email me at hk at hillelthescribecommunications.com. My guests today are Tom Gamboa and Todd Seal. Tom retired as a baseball lifer, somebody working in baseball jobs for many organizations over many decades. By my count, Tom was with nine organizations, including on the major league coaching staffs of the Chicago Cubs and Kansas City Royals. He retired in 2016 after managing the Mets A-level Brooklyn team and then stayed on in the Brooklyn Stadium to coach in the World Baseball Classic for Israel's team. Todd played for 11 major league clubs over 16 seasons and totaled more than 2,000 hits. He played in the 2000 World Series for the New York Mets, starting in all five games at first base and batting 400. He now works on in-studio TV programs for Mets games. They also are father-in-law and son-in-law. Tom's daughter, Kristen, is married to Todd. Tom is appearing from his home in Southern California. Todd is in New York. Tom Gamboa and Todd Zeal, welcome to Hello Cutler's ABC's Athletics Beyond Coronavirus. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Hello. Yeah. Good to be here. Thank you so much. Outstanding. Yeah. Great intro. I agree. Hello. It's, uh, it's always good to talk to you on the phone and uh, a first for me on, a, on this Zoom call here. So pleased to be with you. Outstanding. I think it's the first time I've seen your face in uh, almost exactly four years, Tom, since September 2016, right? Face to That's right. That's right. Four years ago next month is when, uh, when our <clears throat> our paths crossed through uh, Israeli baseball, and now look, they're, they qualified for the Olympics. I couldn't be more thrilled. <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely get to that in a little bit. Well, guys, there, there are plenty of brothers who have played Major League Baseball, Major League Sports, and several father-son combinations who have played at different times in sports. And every once in a while, there's a father-in-law-son-in-law combination. I was thinking that I know of two. There are probably more I know of two. Uh, both with baseball connections. One is Hall of Fame shortstop Lou Boudreau, whose daughter was the late wife of Cy Young and MVP award winner Denny McLean. She just died last year. And Todd, your ex-teammate Jamie Moyer, the longtime pitcher, his father-in-law was the um, longtime Notre Dame basketball coach, Digger Phelps. And I'm sure, Todd, that there must be a really good story about how your family is connected through baseball. Tom's, Tom and Tom's daughter saying you, so I'll let you to tell. I'll leave you to tell that. Sure, and I think just 
Um, maybe one more is uh, the famed pitcher Ralph Branca is uh, the father-in-law of Bobby Valentine. Absolutely right. Very good. There um, you, go. you just right. add one to the mix there. Um, so Tom and I actually connected paths uh, when I was about 17 years old um, at Hart High School in California. I was a senior um, catcher on that Hart High School team, and Tom was a scout um, that had the opportunity to uh, see me play on occasion and um, put in some reports against me. We can talk to Tom about what those reports look like. Um, and then uh, subsequently, uh, we spent some time together uh, when I was at UCLA, and uh, one of his close friends was the pitching coach at UCLA, and um, we would occasionally play golf together, and Tom is an avid golfer and a very good golfer, so um, the three of us, Guy Hansen, Tom, and myself would play golf on occasion. I got to know Tom, and then um, once I got into pro ball, I, I saw Tom on a regular basis when he was um, with the, uh, the Tigers, again, with the, the Cubs, we crossed paths, and the Dodgers, and, and just sort of had this um, way of, you know, connecting or, or, or seeing each other um, by way of golf or baseball. And then, um, as fate would have it, um, one of Tom's closest friends um, was uh, Mike Gillespie, who just recently passed away and uh, was an amazing man, an amazing baseball um, legend. He was also uh, the father of um, a family that I grew up with in Santa Clarita and went to high school and junior high school with uh, Mike's son, Mitch. And the way we all kind of finally connected on this is um, I went to Mitch's wedding, Tom went to Mitch's wedding, and Kristen went to Mitch's wedding. And um, it just so happened that Kristen and I were both um, in the midst of a divorce after long marriages and tough split. Um, and um, we got introduced at the, uh, the wedding of Mitch Gillespie. And um, something um, I think sparked from the very beginning. The timing was great. Um, you know, and to me, I was you know, very enamored with Kristen out of the gate and have known Tom and Tom was a bit confused because he thought I was uh, still in the midst uh, of a marriage and I had been going through this for a year and a half by that point, but was very private about it. So um, once we, uh, we got made an introduction, ironically by the groom himself, um, he thought that there was something that would connect the two of us and uh, he was right. And here we are uh, six years later. So you met at that wedding six years ago. We did. It'll be wow. seven years in, uh, in November. Um, and, um, you know, Mitch was one of those kids that, uh, you know, we met when I was in seventh grade um, and he was just one of these, kids that I always sort of had and stayed connected to. Um, just a loyal, true friend. And, um, and I was always connected to the family. I'd actually played for his father, for Mike Gillespie um, in Alaska 
during my two years um, playing summer ball when I was at UCLA. Um, so I was very close with good family. And um, you know what? I, I had other plans. I was not supposed to be available to go to Mitch's wedding, but um, something drew me there and I canceled the other plans and, and went. And um, I think Kristen can kind of tell a similar story that um, she went to, to spend some time with her father and uh, with her sisters. And, you know, turns out it was, uh, you know, fortuitous for both of us. Well, I, th I think probably the most important thing is that neither of you spilled food on each other at the wedding and that you didn't meet that way. <laughs> you know, I've heard, I've heard of, uh, you know, that's how people meet sometimes too. Tom, I got I to ask you about the scouting report as, when Todd was a kid. What, what was that all about? Oh, he, he was, uh, there's a reason he was a first round draft choice out of UCLA. You know, to, you know the, the, in, in, in baseball vernacular, you know, we look for what we call tools, run, throw, field, hit, hit for power. But the, the five tools on the baseball field vary in importance depending on the position. And, I mean, historically, when you, when you look at catching, uh, obviously running speed is last of the five. And, and hitting ability would be fourth last, second to last of the five. I mean, basically, when a scout's looking for a catcher at the high school or college level, you're looking for a guy that he has to be able to throw and he has to be able to catch and, and, you, and you prefer that he's got power. Now, you know, when you look at the best of all time, people in the old days, uh, back in the 50s, Yogi Berra, certainly Johnny Bench, Pudge Rodriguez, what made them Hall of Famers is that they did four of the five and did all four of them really good. The only thing that none of them did was run. Um, but Todd had the makings that, as he mentioned, Hart High School is in the Santa Clarita Valley, and my family and Todd's, we, we were all in the same school district. And, um, um, you know, he had, he had the tools to be a frontline star major league catcher. And when he got out of Hart, rather than going into pro ball, he went to UCLA. And one of my best friends and longtime pitching coach of mine uh, happened to be, the, as he mentioned, the pitching coach there. And so I would go to UCLA. Guy would have me come down and, and, and talk to the hitters once in a while. Um, and, you know, watching him play and develop, um, I mean, it was obviously he, he was going to be a first-round pick. And, you know, his – a lot of people don't realize that because Todd played for so many teams and didn't really get known with one particular one, a lot of people don't realize that he hit over 250 home runs in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, had his career been more with one, you know, with one team rather than moving, moving about, I think he'd be, uh, get much more of the recognition that he's now getting in New York, having played for the Yankees and the Mets and doing the pre and post game show. I mean, he, he's becoming a, the recognizable figure in New York City that he was when he played. So it, it, it's all good. But I, I'm a big believer that certain things are meant to be. And the, the fact that Todd was supposed to be on a cruise instead of that wedding, but went because of his friendship to Mitch and um, Mike Gillespie being my, my, my best friend, like the brother I never had, even though it's two and a half hours away, I made the drive 
to be there to support him with his son getting married. And all four of my daughters came to be able to spend the day with me. And uh, so I didn't know that Mitch was trying to fix the two of them up and play Cupid. I, Micah and I were just standing at the reception in a corner talking baseball and all Todd came up and joined us. And then all four of my daughters came. And when I introduced him to all four of my daughters, I had no idea that he was not married at that, at, at that point in time. So I just, and then once I realized after the fact that, that he was getting divorced as my daughter was, I knew, I knew in my heart that they'd be together forever because when I looked at it in a different light, I thought, oh my God, they're absolutely perfect for each other. They look like Ken and Barbie. You know? mm -hmm. They're both, both great looking, they're both athletic, and uh, I couldn't be more happy and proud that on uh, July 27th, and I actually married them. I got certified as a, as a, as a, as a minister through the power of the internet and married him, but no, uh, he's, they're, they're just, they're just great for each other. I'm really happy. And, and the only correction I'm going to make on that, because your memory is rock solid, is it was June 27th. So, oh, it's, oh, excuse me. That's right. <laughs> but, We're in August already. But all, the, but all the rest is accurate. He did marry us. He is uh, ordained and we call him Father Tom. <laughs> what's better father tom or father time i don't know <laughs> so do you, like what's the dynamic like i mean I, you guys obviously have have each worked for so many years in, in one industry in this case baseball it would seem to me natural that you'd bond over that every time you get together if you're assuming that you're close which you sound like you are does that is it baseball first is a family first when just things that you talk about like how do you, you know, and of course guys have their own way of doing things compared to the way women do things with each other how do, you, how do no, you guys connect on a... Yeah, well, the, the I'm the, uh, not that I'm smarter than anybody else, but I'm the oldest of uh, this Zoom call at 72. And my, my, I'm the first to admit that my priorities used to be out of whack. You know, uh, uh, I used to put baseball was number one on the pedestal for me, which is probably a, a, a big factor in why my wife divorced me 40 years ago. But through that experience, I learned the hard way that, that the number one most important thing of all is family. And I'm proud of Todd that he's always had that priority in order through his own marriage and the four kids that he's got. And then I've seen it firsthand these last uh, almost seven years now that him and my daughter have been together. Um, but yeah, when we get together, we're, we're not the typical father uh, and son-in-law because number one we both have a strong passion for family we have a strong passion for baseball and we have a strong passion for golf so uh, whenever we get together which is often at my house here my country club in the desert you know Todd and I will find a way to get out in the morning and play 18 and then bond with the family with the swimming and the cornhole and the card games that we play and the movies that we watch. I mean, there's a lot of genuine togetherness bonding, you know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled at the, at the amount and the quality of the family time that I get at this stage of my life with, with Kristen and Todd and, and all my kids. And I'll, I'll add to that only, only because I think because of our unique 
experiences um, when we get together in groups, uh, we're probably annoying to a lot of the other people because um, we have sort of this, uh, you know, hidden vernacular that we, we carry on with regards to baseball and what's going on in the world of baseball. Um, and it can seem sort of never ending because of the experiences that Tom has had, the different experiences that I've had, and now sort of our reconnection to the game in, in this modern era. So that's one thing. And I, the other thing that I would say is that um, Tom has a, a, a shred of competitiveness uh, within his veins that um, shows on the golf course and it showed as a manager. Um, but it also now shows in things like cornhole and uh, card games and some of the other things that are a big part of our family activities. And by the way, that, um, that apple uh, that is Kristen didn't fall far from that tree. She's a very competitive uh, young woman. And, and we have a lot of fun playing card games, cornhole. And, but I, I recognize that um, it's better for the marriage if we, we are on the same team. Um, yeah. <laughs> because uh, otherwise I, I, I better make sure that I, I don't win or at least don't enjoy winning. I mean, she, yeah. she's, re she's really, really got to be caught in the middle, right, in, in a way, because, I mean, she's been surrounded by baseball her whole career, her whole life. See, I'm even talking like a baseball thing. It's not a career, it's a life. Her whole life, he's been, she's been surrounded by baseball. Tom from the top, meaning as a parent, and Todd, you as, as a spouse. Yeah, and that's that's something that has definitely helped her in their relationship. Uh, you know, through the divorce, um, Kristen was the first of my five kids that moved in with me when she was 15. She she left her mom and her sisters, and so her and I lived together. And of course, with me traveling so much in the baseball season, and then instructional league, and then in mini camps before. She was always taking me to the airport um, crying because of the separation or picking me up at the airport coming back from a trip with this glowing smile on her beautiful face. And as she got older, she, she, just, she got used to the separations of me going and coming. And now as a mature woman in her 40s, with, uh, you know, they live on on Balboa Island here in Southern California in the off baseball season. But with Todd working in New York, you know, Kristen's kind of back and forth, but she, she's much, because she grew up with it, she's able to handle the, and independent enough to handle the separation from Todd that baseball forces you to, to live with. So it, it works out real good for them. I was thinking of what has been going on this year. I mean, just what we've all been going through with the, the whole coronavirus crisis, you know, this whole idea of like, just, just celebrating our next birthdays, pretending like this year didn't happen and we all get an extra year. And I'm thinking, well, for you, Tom, this has been a year beyond all compare maybe um, for the highs and the lows. I mean, you had cancer, you were fighting cancer, your daughter gets married. Within a few weeks, you come down with coronavirus. What can you explain? What this year has been like for you? <laughs> yeah, well, I've joked with my friends Hillel that uh, um, I, I I never even heard of bladder cancer. I I never even heard the term. I didn't know there was such a thing. Um, and although my 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 oncologist disagrees, 
in my own mind, I think I got it from the 30 plus years I chewed tobacco in baseball. That, mm. that was my only vice. I mean, I've been healthy my whole life. So I think that's where it came from. But, but fortunately, through modern technology and surgery, um, I was able to overcome that uh, through the grace of God and a good surgeon. Then I had triple hernia surgery on Valentine's Day of this year. And, and then immediately after their wedding, I, since, I, since the cancer made me realize we're not all going to live forever, mm-hmm. I did the number one thing on my bucket list. I went with three of my friends to Bandon Dunes, which just passed Pebble Beach as the number one golf resort in the country. And it was the golfing experience of a lifetime for me. But unfortunately, three of the four of us uh, ended up with this coronavirus. And uh, the other two guys got hospitalized. So thank God it didn't get into my lungs or affect my breathing. Uh, but it literally knocked me on my butt for two weeks, total physical exhaustion and that horrible cough. And as I got better, I told my friends, I said, gee, I guess it's not enough that I had cancer and triple hernia surgery. I had to go for the trifecta and get the coronavirus as well. But the the on, on a positive, I, I try to find the plus in everything. And since part of your show is about this pandemic thing, the, the one plus for me personally is that <clears throat> since there was no baseball season and Todd wasn't working, on five different occasions over this past six months, Todd and Kristen and Kristen's kids came to my house in the desert five times for five days each. And it was incredible family bonding time. I mean, we have ponds at my country club that we would, we would fish every day. We would uh, walk three miles around the, the circular street that I live on. Uh, we would play cards, we would play cornhole, we would swim in the pool, we would barbecue, uh, play cards at night, watch movies together. And, you know, I respect everybody's opinion through this pandemic, but some of my friends haven't seen their kids or grandkids since March. And they strictly do these Zoom or FaceTime calls. And ha- having had a near-death experience with the cancer, I just wasn't prepared to put my life on hold um, through that extended time period. I, I just had to draw the line that if I can't see my own kids and grandkids and son-in-law, then, then what, what is the purpose of my life? So mm-hmm. we, 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 we maximized, totally maximized the use of family and bonding time, but yet being as careful as we, I mean, you know, when we, leave the country club we've got the gloves and the mask on but when it came to family that's that's where in fact we have a family reunion tomorrow uh in balboa and unfortunately todd will be the only member of the family that won't be able to be there um because of because he'll be doing the baseball thing but anyway that's that, that's how i experienced it but my health crises has made me realize just how important i mean family is I, there there really is nothing second to that and, uh, you know, I, I, I wish it didn't take a near-death experience to get me to realize it, but it's it first and foremost. Todd, Todd, what was it like for you, I mean, to have your wife, um, well, first of all, to get, to get married as, as the highlight of your, of your year, presumably, but to have your wife go through this emotional, um, ch- this challenge of seeing all this pain being caused to her father in terms of his, 
his health uh, fight and cancer and then coming down with coronavirus. What, what, like what role did you play in trying to help her at that time? Uh, one of the things that Tom kind of touched on is her level of independence. So um, she is uh, very much the, uh, the sort of the backbone and strength of the family. And I think Tom would even tell you that um, from his perspective. So um, when he was diagnosed with cancer, it was not um, woes me at all. It was um, let's be proactive and find a way to get through this. And um, she's very much, um, you know, that sort of uh, leader anyway, something that I, I admire and I needed in my own life. So um, I think she doesn't really allow herself to um, feel like there's, uh, there's doom because um, the reality is uh, she feels like if you're proactive and, um, you know, there's sort of God's will involved and um, you do what you can the right way that um, it's going to find a, a resolution that is right. And so um, she was with Tom um, a lot. Her daughters um, spent a ton of time with Tom as well uh, in that sort of caretaking process. Um, we, uh, we thought it was sort of ironic at the end of, um, all of the things we had gone through regarding planning the wedding, going to the wedding, being a part of, um, sort of the first group outing, which was very small gathering still, um, for the wedding. And then Tom remained healthy through all of that. And then on his golf trip, uh, contracted COVID, but, um, like a trooper, I think he, um, battled through it well. I don't think that uh, Kristen ever really felt um, that, uh, you know, scared about that because he had worked so hard to make sure that he had maintained his health. And um, just like with the cancer, felt we would deal with any adversities that came our way. But um, she's definitely sort of the, the leader in, in the family, not just um, in our family, but I think collectively with, uh, with the Gamboas. Todd, I wanted to ask you, what was it like to play in a World Series? It's a great question. It's an amazing experience. And I think, um, to me, you know, I, I got to play a lot of years, played with a lot of teams, and I wonder sometimes, had I been a guy that um, was able to have a career with the Cardinals for, you know, the length of my career as I was sort of originally slated, um, I would have missed out on a lot of the other experiences, which were playoff experiences, which were um, playing in different cities. And then um, probably most notably, uh, my experience in New York. Uh, I came here in 2000 um, because I thought this team had a chance to win. Um, I was in a very comfortable situation in Texas. I had an opportunity to go back and sign there. Um, I thought they were moving the wrong direction. And I thought the Mets seemed really exciting. And I figured that, in my experience at least, um, to be an athlete in New York and to win in New York, there's no place like it in the world. So um, I sort of took that leap. And, you know, as that season unfolded, it seemed sort of meant to be that, uh, you know, we ended up in the World Series against the, uh, the Yankees. Um, the town was electric. And I can remember thinking, um, especially when I had a, a hand in – eliminating the Cardinals, which was my first team um, in the national, in the NLCS, um, sort of the, gra the, 
relationships, I guess, um, you know, the, the pleasure that I had in some ways in, in having a hand in that was one thing. And then I, I, I think I really took in the experience. I, I thought to myself, how many more opportunities would I ever potentially have to be in a World Series? And to be in a World Series in New York, um, a Subway Series that hadn't been seen for the better part of 60 years. Um, and so I really tried to make sure that I um, lived the experience and remembered it and didn't let it just go by like in a blur, like a wedding can do or uh, some other things that you're in the moment. And so the experience to me was amazing. I, I got to share it with, especially my oldest son, Garrett, who uh, was at that point um, able to, you know, be in uniform and come to the ballpark with me and was on the field for pregame in game one and uh, game two in Yankee Stadium. And, um, you know, and I, I was fortunate enough to have a, a good series um, and feel like I, uh, you know, I performed well in the, on the biggest stage. And so uh, even with the loss, I think the experience itself was something that um, is of my top, you know, the top things that ever you know, I, I did experience in my career. How did you get into broadcasting? Uh, yeah, broadcasting was something that I, I felt could have been a natural transition. I retired in 2004 and um, ironically, I, I turned down a job with ESPN at that time because it would have, you know, um, would have caused uh, a move to Bristol, Connecticut. Um, as is probably obvious now, I was dealing with issues um, with a marriage and family. I thought that I was going to um, sort of dedicate some time to figuring that out. I sort of took a turn away from baseball when I retired for a while. Um, and um, about six years ago, which I was saying is about the same time that I met Kristen, um, I had started spending some time in New York doing some other business things, and which gave me an opportunity to sort of reacquaint myself with the Mets. And I'd always had a good longstanding relationship with the Mets, with Jeff Wilpon. I had done a little bit of work for SNY um, after I had retired early on in the network's um, beginnings. And so while I was in New York, um, I started doing some occasional um, appearances in studio. Um, and it just, it sort of grew from there. I, I had, had, you know, been to uh, MLB Network on a few different occasions and done some work for them just on an occasion to try to get myself back into um, the swing of things a little bit. But it was much more appealing to me personally to, um, to dedicate directly uh, with the Mets. I didn't really like the idea of having to sort of know all the intricate details of 30 teams. I liked the idea of really being able to sort of dive in and know one team or at least two teams uh, with SNY, the two New York teams. Um, and then, you know, Kirk Gowdy, um, Junior, who's the president of the network, um, just kept giving me opportunities. And then we finally discussed um, a, a more long-term plan. And I kind of eased into it over the last three years until um, last year, I 
was my first real full season where I did 110 games uh, pregame and postgame and um, was quite, you know, unsure how that would feel, um, you know, getting back into the swing of it on a day-to-day basis, but I really enjoyed it and um, was disappointed that the year couldn't be normal and longer uh, as everybody else is this year, but um, I'm enjoying being back in the studio and, and talking baseball again. When before the coronavirus last season and going backwards, were you normally in the studio or did you go to the ballpark occasionally for home games? I had always done studio work. So I was considered the studio, uh, the lead studio analyst and I do pregame and postgame. However, um, we would do an occasional pregame from uh, City Field, which was always fun to get back out to the ballpark. But, um, you know, due to the illness of um, Ron Darling last year who had thyroid cancer, um, he took about six weeks uh, leave of absence from his role as um, the lead remote analyst uh, with, the, with the Mets. And so I filled in for that six weeks and did about 25 games in the booth uh, with Gary Cohen and, and on occasion with Keith Hernandez. Um, it was an amazing experience. I really enjoyed being in that, uh, in that role, a little bit intimidating. Uh, those guys are um, like a well-oiled machine for you know 15 plus years or so together in the studio and Gary Cohen's one of the best uh, play-by-play guys in the in, in the uh, in the business so it was great experience and something that I would you know certainly love to do more of if uh, the opportunity arises um, for you know the right situation. So how was it different this year um, because of the coronavirus restrictions that have basically nobody in the ballpark well, except, except for the players? I mean yeah the restrictions have made it such that um, SNY as a network has had to do a lot of different protocols uh, to stay safe, which means we have a lot smaller um, crew. It's, um, you know, the, uh, some of the other sto- shows in studio that used to revolve around the other sports um, in town have had to, um, you know, wait until in season or be canceled. Um, but from, the other protocols, obviously there's no fans in the stadium. Um, the remote booth at City Field is used for both home games and visiting games. So Gary, Keith, and Ron are in the, in the stadium at City Field, even if the team is on the road, watching the remote broadcast on monitors and calling the game from there. And then, um, you know, we stay uh, socially distant in studio. We wear masks or we're not actually on air. And um, we've had to kind of uh, modify at least some of the the studio surroundings to make sure that we've uh, maintained all the protocols. Tom, from the baseball side, the, the two things I wanted to ask you, and we'll go backwards. One is how is it that you were on the staff of Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic qualifiers starting in 2016 and then going through the Asian part of the, the, the main tournament in early 2017? Yeah, that, that's a good question because, uh, you know, I, I was the, the players obviously had to be uh, not only Jewish, but uh, of immediate Jewish descent to be, il- to be able to play on the team. And, uh, you know, the, the, the coaching staff, uh, although it wasn't mandatory, it was made up 
of everybody that was Jewish. But un, un, unfortunately, uh, I believe it was Steve Kelly, his, uh, his mother-in-law was in hospice and he had to bow out. And Jerry Weinstein, the manager, Jerry and I had been close friends for, gosh, nearly over 40 years now, over 40 years. And Jerry had called me months before September wanting to know, Jerry's a perfectionist and no detail is too small for him. He, he had called me knowing I was managing in Brooklyn and that's where the qualifier was going to be played. He wanted to know anything and everything about the nuances of the ballpark. Um, and so I, I, you know, I'd given him all the info. And then, as I said, when, when a, one of the coaches bowed out, uh, Jerry asked me to, to uh, uh, initially to be his third base coach. And then by the time we, we actually went to, uh, uh, to Korea, no, actually, I was the bench coach at, at at the qualifier, and then by the time we went to Korea, I was the third base coach. Right, because Jerry Naren was the third base coach in Brooklyn, I remember. Correct. Yeah. I, I was the bench coach, and then Jerry Jerry got promoted to the major league staff with the Diamondbacks and wasn't able to go with us, and right. so a mutual friend of Jerry's and mine, Pat Doyle, was we brought we were brought him in to aid our staff. But Pat physically just moving around at third base was going to be a little difficult for him. So we just switched roles. Pat became the bench coach and I went to third. But it was through my friendship with, with Jerry. And then, uh, you know, when we, when we won the qualifier in Brooklyn, I thought I was done. You know, I wanted to bow out because I, I didn't want somebody else to not be able to go to Asia. And, of course, the, uh, Peter, Jerry, the – Everybody was like, oh, no, you're a part of this now. We're making you – you're an honorary Jew as long as you're in uniform with Team Israel. And it was a, it was a, it was a crowning uh, achievement to, to be a part of something so spectacular at the end of my career. I mean, it was, it was really – it was way more than, than I thought it was going to be. And, and I think we all have to tip our hats to Josh Zai because Josh was not only an integral part of the team, but in a unrehearsed speech at the first practice, um, my gosh, uh, I mean, I, I was choked up. I mean, it, it, it really, I realized it was way more than a baseball game. And Josh made everybody feel that at that first practice, reliving his experience from four years previous when he, unfortunately gave up the lead in the ninth inning against Spain that would have qualified them then. And uh, the way he told it and getting so emotional, you would have thought that the game was the night before rather than four years in the rear. And that, that set a tone and a motivation for everybody um, that we did, we did, we, 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 uh, we, we, it was a monumental achievement what we did. And, and, and ended up going to, uh, to Korea and playing teams in the top 10 in the world when Israel was number 56 or whatever it was. And, you know, beating the Chinese Taipei, beating Cuba, beating the Netherlands with five big leaguers on their mm -hmm. team. It was, it was something. But water found its own level in Japan in front of 57,000. We gave them a good battle, but they, they beat us and they deserved so. I mean, I, to watch that game, those games in, in Korea, 
you know, the, when you won the, the, the first games in Korea, I think you beat, uh -huh. you beat South Korea at their dome stadium. And I'm two, one, two, one and 10 in. I mean, that was electric just to watch it on television to be, I, I can't imagine what it was like for you to be there. Yeah. It, well, the, the, the whole thing was, uh, I mean, it, it, I had never done any international baseball, so I had no idea what it was. I, 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 I agreed strictly through my friendship with Jerry. Um, uh, but I, like I said, I found out on the first day from Josh, what this meant, uh, to the players, uh, and I'm, and certainly I'm sure to the people of Israel and and the and the and the people of Jewish descent. I, I was getting calls from friends of mine that were getting up at three thirty in the morning California time to watch these games. And you know, I, I you know, until then I didn't know if anybody was watching, but it, it sure was it sure was fun to be a part of it, no doubt. And uh, it was it was just it was a great way to finish off. Uh, my career and, and even in losing the final game in Japan um, we played them scoreless through six and getting beat eight nothing in the ninth it was just it was a, a, a emblematic of our team that we scored three runs in the ninth inning I mean we were there was just no give up at any point by any anybody and it was just I was very proud to, and very honored that uh, that uh, Jerry and, and Peter chose me to be a small part of it I think the first time I came across your name was 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 a decade or so earlier that that terrible incident with the Royals, and I'm wondering. I don't. I really don't mean to harp on on, on a terrible thing, but I'm I'm wondering what you what you as a human being were going through in in a you know opposing ballpark when this happened, when you were hit by this fan and you got hurt and completely out of the blue and uncalled for, of course, and. Yeah, it was. I don't. I don't mind talking about. It. I mean, with my sense of humor, I make jokes out of of, of everything. But uh, it was unfortunate, especially the game being so meaningless. I mean, uh, it was. It was late September of two thousand two. Uh, we, the Kansas City Royals, were in last. The White Sox were in second to last. So I mean, it was. You're basically just playing out the season, and. Um, you know, two drunk guys on drugs decided that they were going to get on TV. And, uh, you know, I asked them in court, why me? And it just turned out that, you know, they, they snuck from the right field bleachers down behind our first base dugout. The railing in Chicago is only like three feet high. They simply climbed over it and they said my back was turned and I, I was an easy target for them to get the attention they were looking for. And, so, you know, for me personally, while it was going on, it was almost an out-of-body experience because, uh, you know, I'm in the first base coaching box, and the next thing I knew, I just got, I just got bowled off. They must have been on the dead run when they hit me from behind and knocked me down. And <clears throat> I just remember, I remember be, being on my back, looking up at two guys that were swinging at me, but I didn't realize I lost all my hearing momentarily because I could see their their mouths open and they were yelling and the veins in their but 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 nothing was coming out I didn't hear anything and I I was wondering who are these guys what are they doing on the field and why are they swinging at me and then the dad uh, actually connected with my jaw which turned out to be a plus because that basically stunned and woke me up to the point where I realized hey I'm in trouble here and so uh, the, 
the, the, the newspaper had a picture of me kicking the, 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 the son in the groin to try to get him away from me so I could defend myself against the guy on my left that just hit me in the face. And then, and then I was overwhelmed again at the bottom of a pile. I was so out of it, I didn't realize that that was my teammates on the pile. So it was just a, it was a, it was a bizarre incident. And, and I'm naive enough to think that the next day it was over and done. And we were back in Kansas City the next day. And after BP, our media relations director, said, hey, we, you know, we, we had to get a special room for you. I said, a room for what? And he said, are you kidding? He says, we have, we have people from all over the country. We, we had to find a bigger room. You have to do a press conference. And I'm like, in my mind, I was like, Jesus, this is yesterday's news. What is the, but, but, but getting outside the, myself, I realized after the fact that because of 9-11 and now violence in sports, just the, the kind of a sign of the times, because when I, when I walked into that room and saw um, Katie Couric and Connie Chung and, you know, Dan mm. Fitz, people that I watch on TV, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. So there was so much tension in the room. You could feel it. And so when I got to the podium, I said, well, I guess I'm the, I'm the new Cato Caleb. You know, I'm, this is my 15 minutes of infamy over something that I had nothing to do with other than doing my job. But but my comment, everybody laughed and it lightened the mood and then they realized they were free to ask whatever they want. So it is it is what it is. I mean, did the White Sox ever apologize to you? Um, well, yes, yes, yeah, yes, they did. I got mm. a nice letter from, from Jerry Reisdorf. Uh, and having worked for the Cubs, anybody that's been to Chicago knows what a great sports town and how passionate the people are. So. I went out of my way to tell the media, uh, radio, TV, and the newspapers that, hey, in no way, shape, or form should the action of two individuals reflect negatively upon the city because it's, it's just too good of a sports town. You know, the unfortunate part is that I did lose permanently a, a portion of my hearing in my right ear. And uh, so that, that was not fun, you know, but it is what it is and we just move on. I mean, Tom, you have such an amazing attitude toward, toward this. I mean, towards your illnesses and your health struggles and what we were just talking about now. I mean, Yeah, well, I credit that to my stepdad. You know, he, 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 he said to, uh, you know, you always hope for the best and try to find the silver lining in things. I remember the first team I ever managed, we had, uh, we won a pennant, but at one, at one point in time, we lost nine in a row. And, uh, you know, I, I got on the bus and I said, you know, guys, I said that this, believe it or not, this streak is going to end at some point. I said, the sooner the better. But uh, one of my players said to me the next day after a, a positive talk and another loss, he said, you know, Skip, you're the type of guy that if you'd have been the captain of the Titanic, as it was going down, you'd have gotten on the microphone and told everybody not to panic that we're just stopping for ice. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of the attitude that I try to take on most things. Todd, do you remember, as, as a player at the time, do you remember this incident occurring? I do, yeah. And I, 
knew about it. And I certainly, as we talked about, had some history with Tom at that point. Um, I can remember there just seemed to be um, a number of different incidents with fans, um, you know, approaching the field or getting um, certainly more bold and the security was not as tight, certainly, as it has gotten since then. So um, I remember that being, a, I think, a, a big wake-up call to the rest of the league that, um, you know, we, this isn't something we could just take for granted that everybody's safe on the field anymore. I mean, were you ever confronted with a difficult situation in which a fan was going over the line or even, even just when you're out in public having a meal? Uh, after, after the um, – after the strike in uh, 94, when we went back to uh, play in 95, there was a lot of fans that were, um, you know, upset and vocal and uh, demonstrative. And we had a couple of different incidents where fans charged the field or, you know, there was one sort of famous one where these three guys ran out of the field and started burning piles of money and, um, you know, like the greedy players, uh, kind of attitude and um the only one that was ever became a little bit um you know sketchy was uh a fan that um randy myers was a pitcher for the cubs when i was there in 95 and um we were down the last three games of the season we had a chance to get to the playoffs houston was in town and we had to be we had to win this game to have a chance to play on Sunday for uh, a playoff spot and we had a lead and Randy uh, came in, Randy Myers came in and gave up a, a home run to, I think Craig Biggio or somebody um, to give them the lead. And it was a blown lead that we had had like three of the last four games and a fan ran, jumped the fence while this was going on and tr was running towards Randy Myers who thought of him as a threat and Randy was kind of uh, a little bit, um, you know, I think uh, Tom could tell you he was a little bit crazy anyway and um, had a bit of a military background uh, or at least so he thought and was certainly had some martial arts background. So the next thing we know, um, we saw this fan charging Randy and we were worried for Randy for about two seconds and then we became worried for this fan because <laughs> Randy <laughs> – Randy tackled him and got him into a chokehold and was like strangling this guy on the mound. And we had to charge the mound to get Randy off the fan and not the other way around. So um, that was the one, you know, incident that I think had uh, sort of the tables were turned. And, um, you know, that was the last real uh, sort of uh, close incident that I ever had uh, with, with the fan. I had to laugh at that story because I had forgotten that until Todd brought it up. But, but uh, I, was in, I was in Chicago at that time, and uh, Sharon Panazzo was involved in the media relations. And, and during that series, she organized, uh, after a day game, she had organized like a bowling tournament that night. In fact, Kristen, Kristen was with me in Chicago then. And we went to this bowling function, and Randy Myers showed up in his combat boots and a and a camouflage like army as army fatigue outfit. I mean, he he was just a different kind of guy. <laughs> but 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 what was funny about that is I mean, there's nothing funny about 
fans getting out of hand. But that guy was running to the mound probably to give Randy a hug or a high five. Exactly. But but, but as a as a player in the mid, in the midst of your profession in a, a game, you don't know if the fan is there to attack you. I mean, as, as was in, in my case, one of the two guys had a pocket knife that was found after the fact on the field and the the police and the fbi in telling me afterwards they said we don't know whether the 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 guy was intending to use the knife um or not i mean but but as a as a player randy didn't know so he he used his martial arts skills and just laid this guy right out so quickly that and it got a lot of national publicity. I thought, well, that'll discourage anybody from ever coming on the field again, which turned out not to be the case. But that 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 was uh, that, that 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 gave me a chuckle because I had I had forgotten about that. What a story! Wow. Yeah, Randy, last name with Randy. Randy had um, he uh, he had a brother that I think was in in the military and that he used to talk about, and so. <clears throat> Um, he had a grenade in the top of his locker. <laughs> you remember that, Tom? He, and, yeah. And he used yeah. he used to claim that it was a live grenade, and nobody really wanted to test him on it because the pin was in. Uh, but he would, and he would, like Tom said, he'd come in his fatigues, and he'd he'd have twelve hard boiled eggs um, in his sitting. He was just an he was an odd dude. He was uh, he was fun. I. I he was uh, he was a teammate of mine again in uh, in Baltimore as well. So he's a Interesting character, for sure. Yeah. Tom Gamboa and Todd Zeal, thank you very much for appearing on Hillel Cutler's ABC's Athletics Beyond Coronavirus. Let's hope that the coronavirus crisis ends soon, and I wish you guys and your families a lot of good health going forward. Thank you as well, yeah. Hillel, for having us on, and uh, you know, good health uh, to you as well.